Okay. Yeah, your d- jokes are better when you explain them. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Joke Explaining Podcast. Hello there, listeners. Hello there. Welcome, world, to the Euro Whiskey Podcast, episode it's, three. It's hello from him. And, and yeah, I suppose it's a lot from him as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, the latest episode of Euro Whiskey with myself, Harry, and... Still your favourite Australian, Stuart. It, it, it is still your favourite. You can vote him off next week, probably. <laughs> this isn't Survivor. I'm, yeah. I'm here to stay. <laughs> yeah, so we'll talk about what anything we've been getting up to whiskey-wise lately. Uh, well, I mean, I've just come back from overtime at the, uh, at the warehouse, been spending all day filling casks and moving them around so i feel very strong at the mystery warehouse at the mystery warehouse yeah mystery warehouse there's that little <laughs> jingle in there like mystery drums yeah um, that's, that's the the next segment of the show is mystery warehouse yeah <laughs> where could it be <laughs> <laughs> which which door is the mystery warehouse hiding behind today <laughs> but yes uh, um, so, i mean personally haven't been dramming that much but yeah it's been uh, yeah. B- busy at work so yeah i mean sometimes you gotta take a bit of a break mm-hmm. yeah yeah, by um, so back in Edinburgh now, hence why we're both in the same place with the same microphone. We are. It's good to see you in person again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I got the chance to go to the vaults again today and just have a quick quick dram between um, stocking up on all the Scottish food I've been missing. Very um, good. The Netherlands is a sadly haggisless place. <laughs> um, None of the free-roaming haggis. No, no, no. You, you can't even grow your own in captivity. It's oh. terrible. Um, it's a damn shame. It's a damn shame. Damn shame. <laughs> We strongly condemn the Netherlands, the Dutch government's position on haggis. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, otherwise, whiskey news from you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, I'm still working on plans for later this year. One thing that just came up was uh, the other day it was German Whiskey Day, which I feel like I should have known was coming before <laughs> it did. Uh, but yeah, several distilleries around Germany. It was cool to see online, the social media. They were doing all these different uh, events and tastings and stuff. And you know, there's so many distilleries in Germany. It's it's kind of a bit of a mess. You go all the way from like quite big professional ones down to very small farm ones, um, which which can be good, but like some of them are very sort of disorganized. And yeah, all these these distilleries were like having events, and also like some of them were having tastings where you could have like three or four other German whiskies alongside theirs. Oh, very cool. So yeah, like I, I, that's that's the kind of thing I'd want to encourage for Euro whiskey. So yeah, hopefully. Um, We'll to talk to them more about that because in August I'm going to be going to a whole series of German distilleries for a week. Uh, so I'm going to be using the the Deutschland ticket, which is the the whole the 49 euro ticket for a month, where you get like unlimited public transport in Very Germany, cool. other than high speed trains. Uh, yeah, so I'll be going to a different one every day, to, um, seeing a whole bunch of German whiskey and uh, from, you know some of the bigger ones. Like they're not that big, but by German standards, the bigger ones like St. Killian's, Elsburn, Hubble. Very nice, yeah. very nice. But I, and of course, if anyone wants to see all the whiskies that Germany has to offer, all you need to go, all you need to do is go to the Euro Whiskey website. Yeah, the Euro Whiskey map. You it's, can see the uh, map, the infamous map. <laughs> Why is it infamous? Is it, is it done something wrong? Not yet. <laughs> doing things I don't know about. You people have been using this map for nefarious purposes, like visiting whiskey distilleries. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's you, know, you can always look on there and see if uh, if you're living somewhere in Europe that you might not think there's a distillery. There might be one nearby, or if you're on holiday, you know, might be one near near where you're going. But still, um, very exciting. Yeah, your trip 
seeing uh, one distillery every day. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, I, I've learned from experience that you can do two in a day, but it's not really advised because <laughs> uh, you, you you sort of use all your energy on the first one and the second one uh, you can struggle with a bit, especially if you don't have time to eat properly between two of them. <laughs> so learn that lesson the hard way a bit. Yeah, it's I'm really looking forward to it because uh, the trip's going to end up in the Black Forest where there's actually like a really strong concentration of German distilleries. Very cool. Um, I've never been to the, the Black Forest before, so that'll be cool. Looking forward to to tasting all the samples that you bring back for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep them flowing in. That's it, that's it. Uh, appease the whiskey guard. You do the hunting and gathering and I just sit here <laughs> and enjoy. Hunting. Yeah, well, which one of us is hunter and which one is gatherer? Yeah. <laughs> A whiskey hunter, whiskey hunter. That's gonna be the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's not not too hard to hunt them. They don't run very fast. <laughs> Unlike the haggis. Unlike the haggis, famously. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. Uh, we were having our lovely morning rolls and leaf today, and uh, you know, having a haggis and egg, my my perfect combo. Somehow we're talking about this, and I was complaining about not having haggis in the Netherlands, but what we do have in the town I live in is a farm egg vending machine where the the farm has this massive wall vending machine where it's got you can buy like 30 eggs or 100 eggs out of the wall of this farm see when you first said it i just imagined like chickens like in a vending machine and then they you know you press j5 and then that one just pops out an egg <laughs> it just pokes the chicken and says oh wait get going yeah. <laughs> you just really hope there's a really good cushion at the bottom of that vending yeah, machine definitely. just each one splats and you just reach your hand in oh this has gone poorly i regret this choice <laughs> i regret this decision <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, on the latest on the Euro Whiskey podcast, you can buy eggs in the town I live in. Um, <laughs> crazy what they can do nowadays. We live in the in the modern world. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to launch into a little segment for today. Just going to discuss how new drinkers get into whiskey, how you get new people into whiskey. Because we have to we have to expand the cult, of course. Of course, yeah. Things will just eventually die out if you're if you're obviously not getting new people interested or involved. But I mean, uh, I mean, particularly with Scotch whiskey, that's always had this connotation or this image of you know the elderly man sitting in his uh, in his chair next to a campfire with a with a peaty whiskey, and you know you know for decades that's the typical image that people have. But uh, it, you know in Scotland that's changing, and then obviously uh, consumer trends are changing as well uh, to reflect more of a you know a younger audience uh, to go along with the traditional audience. But uh, yeah, as far as starting off drinking whiskey, it can be quite daunting. Yeah, I think I think you're right. That that traditional image, sort of, it, it was quite exclusionary for some people. But then it it made things simple in a way that, in 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 a sense that, if you were going to get into whiskey, it's like, well, do you like that image? Well, you, you can do that, and that's that's basically it. Mm -hmm. Or you you know found other people who wanted to also act that way. But yeah, and obviously it's good that now things are changing, it's diversifying, more young people have whiskey, there's more types of whiskey available, but then also, yes, it means there's there's more question about, okay, yeah, well, what, how, how do people get into it? Is there one way they should do it? Are there several ways you should do it? So yeah, yeah that, it's, it's definitely changing, which I think is good. It makes it much more interesting. Oh, for sure, for sure. And then obviously there's new whiskeys coming out uh, in, mm -hmm. in countries all over the world, and you know, in particular Europe. And so there's always something new for people to try, even the traditionalists or, you know, the, someone who is new to whiskey. So, I mean, you yeah, know, new things are, are good. Yeah, new things are good. New things are good. That's S the... Simple, simple motto, yeah. but I think yeah. it's good. But new it's things a, are good and some good things are new. Yeah. yeah. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I like to think that's that's the advantage of some of the European whiskies, although probably the bigger, like more commercial ones. Um, like Stouting, actually, we were talking about um, some Danish whiskey Stouting earlier today. Um, that's quite good as an example of something that does get some new people into whiskey. It's like a good entrance one because it's quite it's it's quite easygoing. It's not really harsh or anything, but it's still you've got you know enough depth to be quite interesting, and it's got a nice image to it. That uh, I mean, yeah, according to how Stouting talk about it, they say that in America they've had new people get into it because it's both because of you know the style of it and then also because of that that's combined with an image of being so different from everything else they can buy yeah. that it just uh, it lets people choose it and say, oh, this is my thing. I realize the way I phrase that might sound a bit dismissive, but like, no, it's, it's quite nice. I think that's that's part of that old image you're talking about, the old man sitting by the fire or whatever with his glass of like Laphroaig or Macallan or whatever, much as, you know, I do like Laphroaig. It's, it, it, it gives you this this image. It gives you, it, it's, it's a thing that you sort of, um, choose to align yourself with if that makes sense sure yeah even if it's just as a you know it's not like you have to think about it that deeply like i was saying with like how i love a good bottle and the nice packaging the other day it's you know it's it's just it's part of the image that goes with the whiskey as well as the content of the dram itself yeah for sure i mean you you can often see brands rebranding or you know um mm. different whiskeys rebranding to reflect maybe more modern uh, trend or you know trying to move away from their own tradition mm. uh, of, of, of uh, style perhaps so you know they are trying to get newer drinkers in which is kind of cool but then as far as the actual drinking of whiskey if you're new to you know really strong spirits and things like that you know uh, how do you think you would go about recommending or you know trying to get people involved with whiskey a little bit more I think for getting new people into it completely, yeah, you, you, you probably have to focus on lighter styles, on having whiskey with some water or some ice, depending on the person, because obviously the, the more you can cater it to any new person's existing tastes, of course, that's going to help. Um, I think just, yeah, finding whatever is closest to something they already like and know, um, which, I mean, that can actually end up meaning that instead of something light and easy to start with, you can actually end up going in another direction. Because if, if someone is completely new to whiskey, but they I know they like other food or drink that is very rich and very mm. heavy or smoky, then yeah, you probably actually are better off starting them with something which is maybe a bit daunting for others, like a heavily beater whiskey, but will engage their interest more, even yeah. if it's a bit challenging. No, that's, that's very true. I mean, we've got uh, mutual friends who started out drinking very heavily peated whiskies and then sort of brought it back to the lighter styles because, you know, culturally or, or um, you know, within their families, they would have very heavily smoked food or yeah, you know, they, yeah. they might have, you know, pretty intense flavors in, in their, in their diets. And so it might be a case of that's reflecting their, you know, the, their palate um, or the, their traditions as it were. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good example. I mean, so yeah, I mean, if someone's from Sweden or Finland, yeah, you're probably as an example. Yeah, you probably start want to start with the smoke. Yeah. But then yeah, if you're if you're talking to more like an English or Irish person, maybe then yeah, probably a lighter flavor mm -hmm. is going to go in. And certainly France as well, like the general consumer taste, at least given what whiskies tend to sell there a lot. Um, things like you know Abelard from Scotland is obviously very famous mm -hmm. for being popular in France. I think it's a lighter, sweeter flavors, something a bit more delicate probably goes over better there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, most of the time, 
if I was starting starting with things, it's going to be light. And it's it's e- I think it's easy to start with something light, and if they find it too bland, you can step it up. But yep. if yep. it's too heavy, you can just scare people off. No, that's true. Yeah, that that would normally be the approach that I would take when I was working behind the bar. It'd be mm. a case of maybe yeah, as you said before, like trying to work out what they have enjoyed previously. So if you know they're a fan of gin and tonics or something, you might go for something a little bit more floral or aromatic mm. in the whiskey. Or if you know they they prefer you know, sweeter things, you might recommend something with a little bit of, you know, honey notes or, you know, dry fruit notes from a sherry cask and that sort of thing. So, or even if, you know, they're a rum drinker, something, something maybe a little bit more richer in the sweetness. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's, yeah, as, as you, you said before, it's trying to find what they like and then try and relate it. And then, you know, they can make the connection from there and go, oh, okay, if I've liked that one, then I might enjoy the next one. Yeah. You only need to find like one or two that hit the spot to sort of bring them in. Mm-hmm. And then they can always, maybe, you know, their tastes expand or change in whiskey from there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, uh, the, the gin tonic example is a, is a good one. I'm finding something floral for it. And something I just realized that I'm sure you remember doing this as well. We often at the whiskey experience, new people come in and we go give them a grain whiskey to start with. Because mm-hmm. if you have a grain whiskey on its own, especially compared to a lot of Scotch single malt styles, it's so much lighter. Uh, that oh, sure. For a lot of people, mm-hmm. that's a really good entry point just to get some nice sweetness and nice oak flavors fairly straightforward you know probably ex-bourbon casks a lot of the standard whiskey flavors as it were if you can say such a thing Mm -hmm. but then yeah it's it's not the spirit style and the sort of there's there's no heavy finish there's no you don't get the same burn they do with other whiskeys so yeah and and that's one of the things i think turns a lot of people off as well is is that sort of real harshness the burn Mm. but you know for for a lot of people drinking whiskey might have been you know Maybe doing it when they shouldn't have been, you know, when yeah, they're under the age of eighteen, and and you know, maybe gone a little bit too hard in that regard, and you know, had too much, and it's turned them away from whiskey. But also, you know, it could be downing it like a shot. So all you get is is that is the burn, all and, you, is the burn, and, yeah. and you don't get any of the flavour. So you know, it's sort of maybe changing their historical biases as well. Yeah, yeah, you're changing sort of past perceptions of it. Yeah, yeah. Unlike Jane Fonda, we do not want to feel the burn. <laughs> uh, what a reference. Like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we're, we're playing the old hits today. Um, um, yeah. And so, I, so if we try to, we've sort of got the sort of principles down, I think, but then, yeah, it's interesting to think of some examples just off the top of our heads, maybe. So like, like we're, if we're staying in Scotland, right. Um, and like I was talking about a, a grain whiskey might start someone off with like, let's say like a Loch Lomond grain is very affordable, very light. Mm-hmm kind of a bit grassy and floral, so it's interesting. But but if someone was going to start on a, like a peated whiskey, like we mm-hmm. talked about, what would you what would you suggest? Well, if we're just sticking exclusively with Scotland, I might test the waters first and maybe go with the Bunnahaven. Oh, that's even, a good one, yeah. Because even though it's made, uh, for the most part, it's unpeated or just very, very lightly peated, it's still, people often have that perception that it is, since, since it is from Isla, then it yeah. is a peated whiskey. Um, but it's it's more of, uh, the intensity in flavour comes from the richness. Mm, that sort of rich, yeah. sweet cherry cast mm-hmm. note. Like a, yeah. like, I'm assuming like, well, either a Bunnahaven 12 or maybe even a Sturido if you want like an extra sweet. Yeah, yeah, so if you want to sort of go that route and you know, just test the waters in that regard. Otherwise, if you want to sort of build it up, then you've got the, the Bowmores, you know, a little bit... Yeah, a little know, bit more yeah, little maritime, bit, yeah. beat, but it's still sweet, yeah. Or if they just want to go 
full blast. You know, you can just go for the classic Laphroaig, you know, uh, Vorland. Lagavulin 10, yeah. Lagavulin 16. Yeah. It's, I guess, yeah, either one's there. They're classics, but I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. good to start people with, I guess, if, if they're yeah. on that track, yeah. Or if, you know, they're from Germany, then just go for the Optimals. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a certain type of whiskey tourist. You know, you know who you are, and I shame you. I shame you, Optimal lovers, because you could have, you could have more Pete, and you, you don't you don't get it in your Optimal. Optimal is lovely. I've got nothing against you, Brafabi, but um, you, just having a high PPM does not equate to more Pete. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, honestly, actually, like a Port Charlotte from Brafabi, I think I would recommend to like a heavy yep. Pete drinker more mm-hmm. than an Optimal. Just yet, because it's it's really it is a really heavy peat style, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then that's, that's always a fun one, Rafali, in the sense that yeah, if we're introducing people to whiskey, you can always give the person with the the lighter taste or who wants something sweeter, you can give them the uh, classic lightly, and they can have something from the same distillery yeah, as yeah. the one next to them, but they're having the nice light sweet vanilla one. Um, it's always a nice surprise, and the sort of the striking blue bottle they tend to get, I think, is. Uh, it, it, that that is fun. That sort of people don't have that perception about mm. more old fashioned whiskies, and just something as simple as oh, it's in a bright blue bottle. You didn't expect that makes them think oh, there's there's something about this, something about whiskey that maybe I didn't think could think about before. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, if you if you're brave enough as a whiskey distillery or a, or a company to have your your bottle stand out that much on a back bar, then you, yeah. you know, you're pretty confident in your product. Yes, and that's that's definitely a good sign. You. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it is you want whatever it is to sort of commit to a style, mm-hmm. and because then it's 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 staking if it's staking that out, you know, it's saying well someone's going to like this and someone isn't, and then that sort of shows that yeah there's there's confidence in the product and also mm-hmm. that some consumers are going to like it, some are, but that's mm-hmm. that's yeah that that's what makes whiskey interesting is all those differences. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, um, you touched on it very slightly, but also bringing it back to getting new consumers into whiskey. Mm. Price point is always an interesting one as well. That's a good point. Yeah, because uh, you know traditionally it might have been a, a cheap blend that that someone might have tried and said no, it's not really for me. But then also you know you've got really affordable single malts now. You've got really affordable blends, but really good quality ones as well. Yep. Again, going back to that traditional perception of you know the elderly man in in the chair with a you know a, a glass of whiskey in his hand. It's always. You know, very. Uh, it's perceived as, as you know quite traditional and potentially very high class as well. Mm-hmm. And so whiskey, certainly in the marketing side of things these days, uh, the price of it is going up and up and up. But that's not to say that you can't find really affordable ones. And if you are new to whiskey and you just want to try something a little bit different, there are certainly some. Uh, I don't want to say cheap because that that's got a negative connotation, but there are cheaper whiskeys yeah. that you can try. Yeah, and that's 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 a really good point about entering whiskey because. Especially if, yeah, people have had a cheap blend or like a Jack Daniels or Johnny Walker red or something as the only whiskey they've tried before, then, yeah, they're used to that being cheap, even if whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. And then you're suddenly saying, okay, well, maybe they do really like, you know, certain whiskey, but it's 80 pounds a bottle, 100 euros a bottle or something. Yeah. So that's obviously going to put them off yeah. more and you can't blame them. Because um, I, I remember when we first started drinking whiskey, uh, my dad, my brother and I, it was always a case of we would see a new bottle and then think, oh, we'd like to try that, but it's $200 yes, or, 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 or £100, pounds, uh, whatever the conversion rate whatever is. The conversion but still, rate that's, is. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that, that's nothing you're going to take a risk on. Or, um, or less likely if you're a new drinker. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, if, yeah obviously, as you try more whiskeys, you get more confident mm-hmm. in 
what you can expect from certain styles and distilleries, you know, you have some more confidence about, about that kind of experiment, that kind of risk. But yeah, as a new whiskey drinker, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to blame you for not taking that, that sort of jump. And yeah, we're talking about, you're talking about blends as well. Like some really good blends are out there, really well priced. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a, a classic favorite in parts of Scotland that is often underrated elsewhere is Black Bottle. Uh, oh, sure. Yep. Really, really affordable, but really nice blend. Also, again, for like a little touch of smoke, but very, mm-hmm. uh, very accessible, very, very smooth. I quite like um, uh, Cutty Sark myself, as a, if you're going like big name Scotch mm-hmm. blends. But I mean, yeah, you can get blends from other places. There is some blended whiskey in the Netherlands, actually, mm-hmm. um, where they take malt from a few different distilleries around the Netherlands. Um, so I think the, the blend is called Vink. I'll have to check this afterwards, but um, I think it's called Vink. Hi, this is Harry editing. Uh, just jumping in because it is not Vink. I made a mistake there. Uh, Vink is a Dutch single malt. It is not a blend. Bake is a blended malt produced using, among others, uh, Millstone, Friskinder, Horstman, and Clay Whiskey. I mentioned Clay on the podcast in previous episode. Uh, yeah, so if you're looking for a blended malt... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's obviously with so many distilleries being smaller and you don't have the same grain whiskey, malt whiskey dynamic in Europe that you have in Scotland, you don't tend to see blends in the same way. But yeah, there's still still, uh, some that exist. And yeah, I think low price point is really good for getting people Mm -hmm. into whiskey because yeah, there's so many good bottles where you know, 40 pounds, 40 euros, 50 euros, I think you don't need to spend more than that. And, um, uh, uh, you know, depending on your taste, depending on the style, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'd be surprised if I couldn't find it. If someone likes any kind of whiskey, I'd be surprised if I couldn't find a bottle they liked in that price point. Yeah. And especially for the European whiskies I look at, I think about the price point a lot because I don't like spending a lot on whiskey, especially more than... I don't know. Once it gets over fifty pounds, sixty euros, I start getting very apprehensive. Sure, yeah. Um, and there's plenty of whiskey which is worth more than that. But again, I've, I've got to know that it's worth more than that from experience and from trying it. And so much European whiskey is quite young, so it shouldn't really command the older price point necessarily. But then distilleries are smaller, and a lot of them are craft or micro distilleries, mm-hmm. so that of course raises the price. So it varies a lot. You see, some European whiskies are really cheap, really good deals. And some are really nice whiskey, but really expensive. Yeah. Um, which is part of why I talked in another episode how I really like clay in the Netherlands, because it's really affordable. Yeah, for despite sure. being a small distillery. But yeah, sometimes I will see a whiskey from a small distillery somewhere, just as I'm doing research, which looked really nice, but it will be about 180 euros. And I'll think, that's got to be really good. Like, I can't like, I can't recommend that to a new drinker mm-hmm. you know, to get into whiskey. It's just... Where even if that tastes perfect for them, that just doesn't make sense to recommend. So yeah, the price point's absolutely mm-hmm. got to be considered with, with with the first few whiskies you choose to introduce to someone. Oh, for sure. And see if you can, it, you know, it, it, obviously you're not trying to get everyone to drink whiskey all the mm-hmm. time, but yeah, if family or friends have an interest and they're sort of, they want advice on how to get into it, that tends to be the way yeah. that you're sort of trying to help introduce people to it without... Mm-hmm steamrollering them with that yeah, properly without steamrollering them with you know just throwing your favorite bottle at them and saying oh yeah you should definitely have this yeah. which is definitely that was the problem in the past yeah all these the old men in the, in the fire in the 
chairs by the fire have bustle over throwing 10 is like this is definitely the best yeah you know capital t capital b the best mm-hmm. so you must try it and you must enjoy it and that must be the best but also to sort of go on the, the flip side of that traditional image and to go back to the sort of the price point in 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 a way um bar culture has changed as well mm. um so while maybe not affordable for everybody but like going to the bar and trying a dram is is a possibility for for people uh but also cocktails um you know every every bar has got some whiskey behind it everyone uh, every bar tries to make you know a whiskey cocktail or or a few of them so even if you know the new whiskey drinker isn't a fan of drinking neat whiskey or even over ice because because of the harshness having it in inside a cocktail um is definitely a way around that mm. or at least it's an introduction and then they can say oh well you know i, enjoy, I enjoyed an old-fashioned or I, I enjoyed a highball for example and then they can go oh what was the whiskey in that and you know, go back from there yeah yeah that's that's nice i i feel like I, that's an area of whiskey knowledge i definitely lack in a lot is cocktails um and learning more about yeah like a highball or something is a nice sort of mm-hmm. intro way to a whiskey is a good idea yes it's you know there's no there's no reason you couldn't just like with you know maybe you just you get into whiskey but you just like it in cocktails and nothing wrong with that yeah or or yeah you do start that way and then you move into neat whiskeys from that yeah yeah it's that that there isn't there shouldn't be this need to be sort of puritan about it uh in in the sense or purist is the word i was looking for there about um how you get into it you know if you come to whiskey by way of rum or by way of cocktails then why not it's interesting because um going back a few years when i first moved to the uk i was working in bars i was sort of in the mentality that you know whiskey should be drank neat or maybe just a couple of drops of water even mm-hmm. a couple of cubes of ice and i saw an order come through and it was for an ardbeg and coke you know the old smoky mm, smoking coke and uh, I, I said to the to the waiter i said um do they really want this you know because you know in my head i was like no no ardbeg should be drank neat and so well just you know serve the coke on the side and they can have it if they want Five minutes later, you know, the same order comes through. So this person was happy enough with their smoky cokey, and I was, you know, <laughs> just went, okay, fine. That's that's not how I think it should be drank. But then, going forward, my my palate has changed, and my whiskey enjoyment has changed. So yeah, I'd happily have a smoky cokey, and yeah, you know, like whereas going back, I wouldn't. Uh, I would turn my nose up at someone that would do it. Now these days, I'm I'm all for it. So. I've only heard it as a smoke and coke before. I've yeah. never heard a smoky cokey. Smoky cokey. Which sounds good, but then it's, you know, you're just doing the nursery rhyme again. The smoky, do the smoky cokey and turn mm-hmm. it all about. <laughs> well, don't have too many and then you won't be, then you won't be turned Yeah, out. you won't be able to turn it all. And that is what it's all about. Yeah. Um, drinking responsibly. Drinking responsibly. <laughs> I actually had a relatively similar experience, yeah, working at the Phantom Wick in Cardiff and someone ordered, whatever it was, something, some peated malt and coke. And again, I just, I was so confused. I, I probably was judging them, yeah, and, and thinking that was a bad thing to do. But I'm, I remember mainly just thinking how strange it was. I just never considered the idea because uh, the manager was there saying, oh, yeah, that's the thing people have done. I said, really? Are you, are you sure? So he sort of made like a little tiny portion of it and said, hey, try it. And I took a sip and was like, oh, that, that, that does actually kind of work. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so like, yeah, absolutely. It's like I, I still think it's most interesting to me, at least, to try whiskey on its own, pure, not because it's, it's better in some, again, purest way, but just because personally I like sort of stripping things back to the sort of core flavors or ingredients of something. 
So when you build up the flavors in a cocktail or, you know, the sweetness of a Coke mixed with peat, you know, it's really good. And that can be really good for a lot of people. It's just personally, I don't have so much of that experience because I sort of focus on one thing at a time, just in my own sort of tasting and food and drink. Yeah. But yeah, again, it's, there's no reason that has to be the way for everyone. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, some Coke's surprisingly good because at least a few times I have seen people trying new stuff or combining flavors and cocktails or whatever, mixes. I think when you have really different flavors, that's when it gets most interesting. Yeah. It's like when things seem opposed or they con- conflict or they sort of, they fill different spaces. I find this, and look, with, with tasting pairings, it's the same thing. Something which actually sounds like it goes really well together, like... I've got this really sweet space I've malt and it's with a flapjack or something like that. That is nice, but it's like two flavors that are kind of the same part on top of each other. Yeah. It's nice, but it doesn't actually add to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah, smoke and Coke or whatever, you know, the, the really opposing flavors, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, mm-hmm. but when they work, it gets so much more interesting. Yeah. Which I, I guess is, is, is a bit of a tangent off from, mm-hmm. from new people, but that is another thing for people starting with whiskey because, and we know people who, who have started, only having peated whiskey after they tried having peated whiskey with cheese, especially yeah, smoked yeah. cheeses. And that's often their like entry point into mm-hmm. it. It made them sort of, it recontextualized the smoky flavors of something like a Lafroy Gorilla They They got it. Yeah. Even though they'd had it before and didn't mm-hmm. like it, it just, it just sort of, it worked for them after that. Or maybe they only ever had it in that context afterwards, but yeah, then, true. well, okay, they know they like it that way. Yeah. But yeah, basically to sort of bring it all back together, you know, introducing people to whiskey for the first time or new, newish whiskey drinkers, you know, it's finding what's right for you, basically. Um, yeah. So it could you can drink it how you, however you want it. You know, you can have it in cocktails, you can have it neat. Find what works for you at a price point. Uh, and then, honestly, if you're not sure about trying new whiskeys or if you're not sure um, what you should have next, just ask for recommendations. If you're at a bar, just you know, ask the bar person. They they should have an idea of, of what they're selling, and you know, particularly in, in a in a in a whiskey bar, um, yeah, exclusively. You know, they should they should know what to recommend um, based on your previous drinking history or you know your, the flavor profiles that you normally go for. So that's that's what I'd always recommend is you know just ask for advice if you need it. Yeah, and a dedicated whiskey bar, absolutely, and. Yeah, don't don't worry about the don't be intimidated by you know the range they have because yeah it's it's some it's a question that the people who work in these bars mm-hmm. will get all yep. the time is some some version of I have no experience with whiskey mm-hmm. but I'd like to learn something what where should I start and that's also quite a lot of fun for people behind the bar because it's mm-hmm. very creative yeah both both with that person in that situation and also on your own yeah if you're entering new into whiskey you don't have to start by thinking about the whiskey and what you want. You can start with, well, what do I already like? What 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 do I already know I, I like? And then sort of mm-hmm. use that as your entry point, which again is, that's useful if you thought about that and then go to a person who's giving recommendations. Mm-hmm. You can say, well, I know nothing about whiskey, but I like gin tonic. I like rum. I like smoky flavors. I like mm-hmm. I like sweet, fruity flavors and everything. You know, I've got a sweet tooth. That's a good, yeah. that isn't directly about whiskey, but that gives people all the advice they should need to make a good recommendation. Yeah. So yeah, and maybe we should throw out a, just a few names of sort of general purpose, sort of more broadly useful ones. I mean, Buna Haven, I think, was a mm-hmm. was a great shell. Um, as European whiskey, I think like a, a basic cl- clay single malt for, from the Netherlands is really good. 
So yeah, the, the one that we tried a couple of episodes ago, that was really, really good. So mm-hmm. I think from France, there's a few really good starting ones, sort of very light bourbon cask mm-hmm. ones. Um, there's one from Normandy, Haute-Feuille, which uh, that is available in the UK in quite a few places. It's, again, the, we're talking about price point, shouldn't be more than 40 to 50 of pounds or euros. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like that, that's a really good starting one. I've had a lot of people recommend that to me. Uh, again, more stuff from Scotland or Ireland, I think. Well, from Ireland, I mean, I mean, you've got you know your classic Jameson, which uh, is on every back bar. So if you're just looking for yeah. for something like that, you know, relatively smooth and easy drinking, you can go for that. Uh, Redbreast, uh, I'm always a big mm. fan of. A little bit bolder in flavour, but still quite smooth. Even things like the Quiet Man. Uh, Quiet Man. I, I mean, like a bold sort of caramelly flavour from like a Redbreast. Yeah. yeah. Maybe also from from Ireland. I'm thinking a uh, like if you're buying a bottle at home, Writer's Tears is like mm. thirty five pounds or something at most, and that's yeah, that's a great Irish whiskey yeah. to start on. Not too sweet or saccharine, but like absolutely classic style. Yeah, and I mean if you want to go a little bit further afield and you know go a little bit more westerly, you can get you can go to the European country of Australia. Yes, and, yes. And uh, one that I always recommend to people is, is Star Ward uh, from Melbourne. So a little, mm-hmm. little taste of home from me. But, you know, a very fruity, very easy drinking. They've got their twofold, which is, uh, it's a blended whiskey, essentially, uh, from, uh, from a couple of different distilleries. Uh, and then they've made that with neat drinking in mind, but also it goes really well in cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the majority of their... Their range is matured in ex-Australian red wine barrels, um, so you do get that red berry sweetness coming through on, on a lot of their core range as well. That's the um, you know, things like the Solera and the Nova. Mm. And, and like Australian red wine is so popular and such a yeah. so well known that yeah, that's that's a good that's got to be a good entry point for some people. Yeah. And then yeah, Starwood has has got to be one of, if not the most accessible Australian whiskies in terms of where you can get it. And yeah. the price compared to some of the other ones is going to be way lower as well. I mean, you can get Starwood pretty much everywhere in the UK or certainly shipped around the UK and then uh, I imagine all across Europe as well. At, at least several countries in Europe. I'm pretty sure France and Germany should have Starwood if nowhere else. Yeah. And, and again, also, it's like it, it might seem a bit unusual to some people to include, but that's that's a good example. Yeah, I think, I think our main point is to sort of customize everything to your own existing mm-hmm. uh, tastes and preferences. But yeah, those, those are... It's always. I think it's always good to include some specific names, just in case people are still a bit, mm-hmm. still want some some starting points for some research and stuff. Oh, for sure. Um, but I mean, as always, there's heaps and heaps more. Oh yeah, that's that's just a few we've come up yeah. with, you know, off the dome. Yeah. Oh. So I mean, if anyone is listening and you are looking for more recommendations on quote unquote entry level whiskies, or you know, if you are new to whiskey and you do want to give something a try and you're not sure where to start, you know, we're always happy to make some recommendations as well. Don't happen to to be in front of the bar or be behind the bar very often these days, but, uh, absolutely. You know, there's, uh, there's no reason you can't write into us, uh, on social media or Mm -hmm. something and, and ask for a specific recommendation just for yourself. I mean, either privately or I mean, well, Mm -hmm. we could, you know, respond to it on the, on the podcast if you wanted. Um, yeah, to give you your own specific recommendations and, like I said, uh, talking about people who work at these whiskey bars, it's it's a lot of fun to do that because yeah. it's quite a creative exercise. <laughs> so, yeah, if if you want to get specifically into Scotch whiskey, Australian, European whiskey in general, yeah, just uh, you know, at us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok. We have Pinterest. <laughs> um, yeah, or you know, either Euro whiskey or Ripper whiskeys. Uh, that 
yeah, we're, we're happy to help with that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, we have been talking about a few different drams. We've been talking about, you know, how to get people into whiskey. So I think it's time for us to have a, a dram. Yeah, we have a dram, something a bit different today. Very different. Uh, now, I've, full disclosure, I've been off the booze for a couple of weeks now. Uh, well and truly in the throes of wedding season, so it's been a pretty big couple of weeks. So taking a little break, but uh, still enjoying it. So as uh, Harry said, we've got something a little bit different. Uh, what we've got in front of me, or in front of us, is the Liars American Malt. Uh, Liars is a, presumably, yeah, they, they say, uh, impossibly crafted non-alcoholic spirits. So Yeah, so we're trying non-alcoholic sort of whiskey alternative today, which... So it's quite interesting. This is this is all from Stuart. I've never tried this. I'm new to this. Um, Liars spelled L-Y-R-E. If you're looking for it, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm very interested to see to, to learn more about this. So am I. Um, so always. Uh, I never really. Not necessarily my palate's changed, but my mentality's changed a, um, a lot recently. So like I'm drinking a lot more non non alcoholic beer during the week and things like that. Yeah. You know, just trying to downplay the amount of uh, alcohol being consumed so yeah having different options available is, is quite nice i never used to go for non-alcoholic options but nowadays i'm uh, thinking a little bit more ahead so i know it's still a developing thing with with non-alcoholic like spirit alternatives but mm -hmm. i hope it keeps going because again non-alcoholic beer has gone so much better yeah in the last like five to ten years to the point where yeah like during the week half the time it's it works really well uh you know to space things out and like you can have it, you know, while you're working or something if you if you want or like, you know, it's an important tool to have sort of in, you know, all the different food and drink you have. You know, we, we've talked about drink responsibly a few times and, you know, this is part of it. It's not just drink the right, like a reasonable amount of whiskey or beer. It's not just do it at reasonable times. It's also sometimes just don't have it, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to just space things out and that, that can be, you know, on a particular night mm -hmm. or it can be, as you're saying, with like, a few weeks or a part of the year where you've got lots of things going on and you realize, oh yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot at the moment. It should just, just take it easy for a bit. Have, having a little break without alcohol is good every now and then. So yeah, I think it's good to talk about stuff like this so that that is easier to do. I mean, uh, everyone just ignore the fact that we are trying an American malt. So, you know, bourbon style as opposed <laughs> yeah. to European style, but you know, this is, this is what we've got. Yeah, well, I mean, I could say it's just say it was made in the UK. Oh, there you go. Labeled as yeah. lies American malt, but I mean, oh. uh, the the bottle has a nice sort of picture of a, a bear stylized on front, mm -hmm. and a little quote on size says, "Out here we have a saying: some days you eat the bear, some days the bear eats you." But not me. I'm a vegan. <laughs> there we go. Vegan friendly, presumably. Yeah. Like regular whiskey, it is it is vegan friendly mm -hmm. and gluten free. Yeah. I would think because uh, regular whiskey is. So let's let's have a little taste of this. We've got our Glen Cairns out. Yeah. Let's see what the lies is like. It's quite interesting on the nose. It's very very sweet. I mean, you you normally expect bourbon or you know American style whiskies to be quite sweet, but this one. Yeah. It's it's got this, not quite. I'm gonna say smoky. It's not peaty at all. It's smoky, almost like a slight bacon kind of smell, like caramelized bacon yeah. smell. I don't know, just because you said bacon, I'm just thinking about. Maple syrup as well. So. It, it is a bit maple syrupy. Yeah. That that mustier side of maple yeah. syrup. Yeah. I mean, it smells nice. So we'll give that one a try. Uh, let's. I, I got a bit surprised because instinctively drinking whiskey, you sort of you're ready for the alcohol to hit. It just doesn't. Mm -hmm. And of course, that makes sense. But just 
It's very interesting because mm. obviously, yeah, with whiskey, you expect it to be quite an intense mouthfeel, or at least it's going to sort of stay on the palate for a, for a long period of time. But this one feels very thin. Yeah. So the the, the feel in the mouth, the palate is very thin. <laughs> The, the, the flavor itself, the, it's still got mm. that sort of sweetness, but it, uh, again, it doesn't last very long. But it's nice. It's, it's, it tastes like butterscotch. This might be a niche reference for some of you. I apologize. Um, if you've ever had Angel Delight, which for those of you outside, I assume it's just the UK where they make it, is like basically like a, what you call a pudding mix in America. It's like, like this powder, you add it to milk, whip it up, and it sort of thickens into a pudding. And they make like a butterscotch flavor one. Mm. It's exactly like the finish of this. That is a niche reference because I've never had that. So <laughs> yeah, okay. that's, uh, that's clearly clearly not something that, that made it to us at any point. Yeah, like like I said, it is quite a thin mouthfeel, but you know, liquid wise, it feels thin as well. Mm. But I think something like this, if you did want to add maybe a couple drops of you know, Angostura mm. bitters and then over ice, you could have this as like an old fashioned, like a very very low alcohol. If you add bitters, uh, very low alcohol, um, old fashioned. Yeah, because uh, remind me, bitters just has like a couple percent of alcohol. Yeah, it? yeah. And it's only drops anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I personally I like the palate and the finish much more than the aroma. Mm-hmm. The aroma it's not bad, but again, it's that sort of slightly musty herbal side of like a maple syrup or a bacon, which isn't bad, but it just doesn't quite hit the spot for me. Um, it just feels a bit sort of flat. Mm-hmm. But the and again the it's while it's a very thin kind of flavor and finish, it's it's very nice sort of vanilla butterscotchy quite different to the nose yeah uh, flavor I, I I quite like that I just wish it hung around longer yeah definitely definitely but again very interesting one to try and you know going to be quite different to what we normally sample on the show so yeah it's it's, it's a bit different mm-hmm. and that's and yeah that's unlike anything I've ever tried yeah so it's a great comparison. Yeah, so liars, we, we appreciate uh, what you're doing with the non-alcoholic spirits. From what I have heard, the amaretto is, is something quite spectacular. They're, uh, they're non-alcoholic oh amaretto. So uh, liars, if, uh, if you are listening, uh, of course you are listening. If you do want to send us a, a cheeky little sample of the amaretto, we uh, definitely wouldn't turn our noses up at that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be great to, to have more, more non-alcoholic things to compare every now and then, mm-hmm. you know, to space things out. Exactly. Yeah, and um, I like Amaretto, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> we can go. make a make a make a Godfather, I guess, if we swap the JD out for something else. Yeah. that's my extensive cocktail knowledge there <laughs> from uh, Weatherspoons. Uh, JD Weatherspoon, my former employer. Um, yeah, we're not going to sponsor Weatherspoons. <laughs> no, probably not. We um, we very much support the European Union, <laughs> <laughs> especially since Australia got in. That's well, the yeah, best yeah. part about it. Yeah, that's yeah. All right, well, we're getting towards the end of this podcast, but before we go, we thought we'd uh, we'd throw it over to one of the, the questions from our listeners. Yep. Uh, we asked a few weeks ago if anyone had any questions for the podcast, and uh, we appreciate everyone sending a question in. Uh, but uh, Harry, do you, want to, do you want to take this one? Yeah, so we had a question uh, from our friend Moa, who you'll see on Instagram as Swedish Whiskey Girl. Um, that's a really interesting question, which is, which European country or countries is currently the most exciting, in our opinion, up and coming. So I feel I feel like um, it's not rude if I sort of start on this. Go for it. Um, I've said to a lot of people this year that I think Denmark is one of the most interesting places in Europe for whiskey at the moment. Very cool. So like, like in, in if you look at Scandinavia, right, like we know Swedish whiskey is well established. We know with Magmira and um, High Coast, mm-hmm. or there are other distilleries, but those are sort of 
the two biggest or most famous ones in most other places, especially in Makmira. Nothing wrong with Swedish whiskey, mm. but it's, again, that is, like, we know that's good. Norwegian whiskey, it exists, but it's kind of small, it's still getting going. Finnish whiskey, very good, but not that many distilleries, it's just four in the country. Mm. Um, although, if you had to have four, they're very good for. <laughs> but then Denmark, again, it has, sounding is, you know, this sort of one big distillery, much bigger name than uh, the others, and has had a lot of investment recently. But there's sort of 20 to 30 more distilleries popping up. And when I went to Denmark for the first time earlier this year, I was just so struck by how good so much of it is. <laughs> um, I haven't had a bad Danish whiskey yet. I had some that I didn't like personally for my own taste, but I, I can't say I've had a bad one. The fact that it's at this stage where there's more distilleries, new ones opening up, some of them waiting for whiskey to age. I think once it, you know, if you come back in three to five years time, once more of this whiskey has, has come out, <laughs> and some of them have scaled up slightly so it's more available. Danish whiskey is going to become really well known. It deserves to be, uh, especially because what also helps it is that Denmark is much easier to get alcohol in and out as a business or as a consumer in terms of buying and shipping than it is in like Sweden or Norway. Right, right. Because they've got, you know, mm -hmm. and Finland, they've got the alcohol monopolies. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, yeah, Denmark is, is there's still some you know, expensive and difficult things, but it's generally, it's much easier to just like, you know, a Danish distillery can just ship a bottle over most of Europe. It's not that big a deal. Cool. So yeah, Denmark is sort of my, my basic main answer. Um, but I would say Germany as well. It's not even really a fair comparison because Germany is so much bigger. Sure, like, li yeah. Literally an, an order of magnitude more distilleries. Mm -hmm. But that means that, yeah, it's with that many, you're going to get some really interesting <laughs> ones. just by, sure, yeah. So that's part of why I'm visiting some in August, because I'm sort of trying to especially visit some of the biggest or the, you know, the ones that will be easiest, easier to connect with more people because they've mm -hmm. got more whiskey to go around. I think there's going to be at least uh, 15 to 20 distilleries that really bit bigger or sort of mm -hmm. emerging as sort of leading German distilleries. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, even from like a consumer perspective, like the, the Germans love their whiskey. And so if, if their, their love of drinking whiskey is reflected in their love of making the whiskey, then it's a, uh, it's definitely very uh, interesting and exciting to see what they can produce as a whole. Especially I'm obsessed for Scotland. Mm -hmm. Germany has like a German whiskey distillers association, which is really like that's pushing things forward and sort of bringing some of the best ones together. So so in terms of up and coming countries for European whiskey, I think that really helps them a lot. Denmark is sort of trying to put something together with this at the moment. There is like a, a Danish Spirits and Wines Association, which controls some things in the country, but it's not like, there's no like Danish whiskey mark or special rules or anything. Mm -hmm. Obviously there are rules governing whiskey in Denmark, but it's just sort of broader rules. It's not like, there's not a specific Danish whiskey set of rules or group that's been created like you have the Scotch Whiskey Association in Scotland. Yeah, sure. So, whereas Germany is kind of, it's not the same as the SWA, but they do have some associations. So that I think is helping also highlight the best the country has. So yeah, I think while there's so many interesting things coming out all over Europe, I would, if, you, if I had to give a short answer, the big up and coming countries that I'm interested in, I would probably say Denmark and Germany first. Maybe, maybe Finland shortly behind that. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, I definitely agree uh, with all that. Yeah, um, having such a large amount of distilleries in Germany and then seeing the quality of stuff that's coming out of both Germany and Denmark is, is really cool. Um, my answer, uh, as biased as it is, uh, mm -hmm. I'm definitely very excited to see what Lithuania can make in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, just a small number of distilleries at the moment, but um, whiskey consumption trend is going up. Yep. So a lot more whiskey bars are popping up, and then in turn, a lot of the 
traditional distilleries. They might have been making vodka or maybe brandy or even liqueurs and things like that. Might now shift towards whiskey production. So okay. there's there's a, there's a few whiskies that, that have started being released, but again, they are quite young and so sort of the flavor profiles are reflected in that youth. But in a few years time, you might see the uh, Lithuanian whiskey industry more prevalent, uh, certainly, well, particularly within the country. Um, but mm-hmm. you might you might see more of a footprint uh, in Europe. And it's especially impressive in that, that sort of context that, you know, out of the free Baltic nations, like as far as I'm aware, Lithuania is the only one with whiskey distilleries. Mm-hmm. It's got three of them, as far as I know. Yeah, like you said, the, the ones that are available now are quite young, but yeah, there's there's new stuff which is currently aging. When that's available, things, it's going to get really interesting. Um, like I, I tried some uh, spirit last year, which was... You know, it wasn't whiskey yet, it was too young, but it was aged in, I think, blueberry wine casks, I want to say. Very cool. Which was, yeah, like, mm-hmm. I've never heard of that elsewhere. <laughs> and yeah, so in, in Lithuania, there's, yeah, it, it's much more Latvia, Estonia, or even maybe Poland. You know, there's, as you say, like a growing whiskey interest. It, it, it can't really, I wasn't going to say that over somewhere like Denmark or Germany, because the numbers are just so different mm-hmm. in terms of number of distilleries and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, no, and proportionally, Lithuania is definitely like really... It's, it's going to get really interesting. So, yeah, that's that's a really cool one to talk about. But, yeah, so, uh, Moa, thank you very much uh, for sending in your question. We really appreciate that. Uh, Swedish Whiskey Girl is, of course, a long-time listener of the show, great friend of the show as well. Great friend of the show, available on Instagram. Please, please go check her out. But, uh, yes, folks, if you do have any questions for the podcast, any questions for either of us uh, specifically or just uh, the podcast in general, uh, send those ones through, Euro Whiskies. Or River Whiskies on Instagram, uh, preferably, and you uh, what we've talked about today, any whiskey questions you have in general, anything you're curious about with European whiskey specifically, not rhetorical questions, we can't do much with those, but <laughs> any other questions, we'll do our best. Yes, for sure. Okay, well, yeah, that's... That is another episode of Euro Whiskey. Thank you all so much for listening and tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next time with an exciting new episode. Yes, if uh, if my maths is correct, that should be episode four. Okay, good, goodbye everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, it's been Stuart and Harry for Euro Whiskey. <laughs> the magic of editing. Harry, you can stop jazz handing now.